a point where they would be confused about not having a good time? Uh, well, let's go with what we've got in front instead. And that is, is that the point that you're making is, is that when you begin to see how things actually, how great they actually are, or how ordinarily happy they are, that gives us a thrill. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're saying that's the point in time when magical starts, thoughts start up. When you can diverge. Mm -hmm. That's a better way of saying it. Would, okay. would you agree? If... Well, what I would say is, is that we have, uh, let us say, one peak experience rarely. And then we rarely repeat that peak experience, but then oh, yeah. we get on a roll and begin to have more and more often. And there's the peak experiences now become ordinary. But the point in time when that peak experience happens and then you're no longer in that peak experience, you come out of it. That's when the magical thoughts happen of, oh, I want that back again. And that the magic is, is that this moment when I'm not at a peak is not okay, but only the peak moment is okay. And then, in fact, the only way you could get into a peak moment was by having an ordinary moment okay. And it became more and more okay until it was a peak okay. But if it's not okay right now, that if you're wanting that peak experience, you can't have it because it has to have a base of being okay. The magical thought is, is that I am not okay and I need help. That's the only magical thought that has ever happened. I can't do it. Okay, here's well, an example yeah, of that. It, was, it happened so far and a few in between. Like, if that happens, then you're just seeking that and you're like, it's not this next breath. That's the miracle already. Mm -hmm. That's that's absolutely correct. I congratulate you for that one. That's good. Thank you. I mean, when I first started talking to you, that's what I was seeking. Uh huh. Yes. If I'm being honest that with I, myself, I wanted <clears throat> to show someone how far I've come. Honestly, stand back and take a look and connect everything with the breath. Exactly. Connecting it all together, in fact, this is what the human mind is capable of doing. That's its only job that it's ever had, the human part of the brain. There's other parts of the brain whose job is to keep that part of the brain running. And then there's other parts of the brain who keep giving that part of the brain information. But the human part of the brain is only the ability to see dots connecting together, to see connections. The aha moment when the mathematician is writing their, his math on the board and then he gets it. Yeah. Okay. He can connect those dots. Those are the aha moments. And basically, as you're uh, learning to connect the dots more and more, all your thoughts are ah moments because everything is now connecting together. When you talk to me about a person with their hair practicing like their hair on fire, I uh -huh. <laughs> I felt that like I need to teach people this because this is literally the difference between life and death. Exactly so. This is one of the reasons why we actually are enthusiastic about 
spreading the Dhamma, teaching the Dhamma, is because people gain so much value out of it. And I get such a kick out of watching people gain great value out of it. And you you need to make sure your practice doesn't include people figuring that out. Pardon? You need to make sure your practice isn't dependent on people figuring that out. But that's your biggest desire, I bet. Uh, no, I would say okay, if good. I had my actual preferences that I wouldn't even be doing these uh, Skype calls. I would be perfectly happy to not answer a Skype call. Well, uh, but while I'm on the Skype call, boy, do I enjoy the heck out of them. <laughs> oh, so you got that heart of service with you. I appreciate it because these calls have been very valuable to me, Damarato. Mm. Well, that's worth talking about. <clears throat> and so uh, this whole idea of connecting things together, that's what we got started with because of the connection that you made between the boat that you got out of the uh, uh, an air or an estate the day before you called me, and I make that connection with the boat. But that happens on a regular basis. I think the, the strangest know, one was of when a guy told me that he was a professional dishwasher. And I didn't know that. But here I am using dishwashing as being in the moment. And it blew him out. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, it's because by removing hindrances, wisdom naturally arises. Mm-hmm. And we can see things without understanding what we're actually, where that information comes from is irrelevant. The fact is, is that there it is. Yeah. And so. Um, can I um, go ahead? What, what, what drew you to um, pursue? Um, this particular practice versus all the other practices or combining the myriad of practices I'm sure you experience throughout your life. Uh-huh. Okay. Because each generation continues to have a wider range of traditions to draw from. Well, there's the going internet, to be limits we're, we're to that. My generation is presented with the force of ideas. Right. Actually, and on the I, internet, I we are. You, so, just if I may, um, I came across you and Ajahn Sona YouTube channel uh, around the same time. Mm -hmm. And he is actually a. Um, he learned from Ajahn Chah. Okay. So that now I know which Soma you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> Obviously, you guys are different teachers, but you're similar. No, not at all. No, not at all. No, not at all. Achan Cha was a student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. I met Achan Cha at Watsu and Mok, home of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Okay. And you both he learned had from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, though. Yes. Let us say all, almost all of the grand masters all over the world consider Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa their teacher, including yes, the Dalai Lama. I mean, 
So we're all in one big family. This is not this, that, and the other different teaching. Soma just has a different way of saying what I say, and I congratulate him for his style. I'm not saying I listen to Ajahn Chah. I'm saying I listen to. Anyway, even deriving any sort of lineage or even thinking royals, doesn't that like give you some sort of like, now I'm just appealing to authority? No, it gives me a feeling of comfort. It gives me a feeling of having come home. It gives me a feeling that the way that I can actually see when I do it correctly, the world, it is actually mapped out by uh, former generations of people who really have taken a look at the way things are and that we're in complete agreement. And that gives me great solace that I'm not stuck out there in the generation like you are, where you see all of this variety where I've come to the state that I see all of the sameness. True, but did you explore a variety? You must have explored a variety of, of ideas. I have been right around there. the corner. I spent three years in India. I know I know you did. I remember watching like your, your Guru Viking interview and stuff. Okay. Pursuing so magical you something you already know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I just like talking to you, you know. I, don't have I to- know, I love it too. Okay, so we can go for I've been there, done that. With almost every one of them. So you needed something to carry with you at all times, something you'd never be removed from. The breath. There's something more subtle than that, isn't there? Uh... Yes, but then we can go right through the Satipatthana. Okay. So is your view that any practice that isn't Anapanasati? There is no practice. Well, let us say, yes, that's getting closer to the point. Let me tell you this story. You've probably heard it before. It's a story the Buddha told. It's a story about 10 blind men on the same day, all touching an elephant. Mm. And each one of them touches a different area of the elephant. And then they come away and argue about, because one says the elephant is like a tree trunk. Another elephant says, no, it's like a giant fan. Another one says, no, it's like a big brush. Another one says, no, it's like a limb of a tree. I wonder what the guy who had his hands on uh, the bull elephant's balls had to say, but they didn't put that. That would be number 11. (laughs) (laughs) But here's what exactly. That's exactly right. Okay, so in that regard, This is what Western Buddhism is. There's a whole lot of blind Westerners, each one of them touching one tradition or one aspect of something and then think they've got the whole show. Because if it doesn't deliver you in this moment, it won't deliver you 500 moments from now. I'm sorry, what? If it doesn't deliver you from this moment, it won't deliver you 500 moments from now. Yes, okay. 
precisely. But but if it does deliver you now, then 500 my moments from now, it may still be able to deliver you at that particular point. But if you can't do it now, what skills have you developed other than practicing doing that? Is going to give you the skill to do it in that time, 500 mind moments from now, right? So, yes, everything comes back to this present moment. If you can do it now, you can do it in the next present moment. We don't have to worry about the next present moment because we know that this present moment we've got wired and we can wire and we can handle it no matter what this present moment brings. Yeah. But a lot of people spend a whole lot of time and thought moments in what about isms of what about could go wrong. So there's two ways to be prepared. One is to think of everything that can go wrong and fix it in advance. And the other one is recognize it doesn't matter what happens because nothing's broken and we're going to keep it that way. And so I don't have to go around having any problems to solve. I don't have to get ready for for danger. In other words, I stop looking for dangers. So I stop the what about isms. Oh, the clearest Uh example is OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorder is the guy who keeps thinking that my hands are dirty, so he keeps washing them over and over again until they get raw. Totally. How about this? One? How about this one for you? So, if we live in a causal universe, you're the cause. A satisfactory universe would be causal. You put in the causes, you get the effects. Right. Okay. I'm listening. Keep going. Was you're the, the first cause. cause? Are you going to be the cause, or are you going to be the effect? That's your choice. Because. All right. Well, most people don't. Most people start off as a victim. We were victim. We we are all victims when we are little children. Well, yeah. I mean, because everything that happens there. happens to a baby, and if this if if nourishing doesn't happen to a baby, it will die. And so we're all afraid we're not going to get enough nourishment, and we keep those thoughts the rest of our lives, which means we are now looking for some love from the outside to come in and affect us. We're looking for a cause because we're the effect. But we have the possibility of changing that mentality around to where I own this universe, and everything that happens in it is because I cause it. And when we recognize that you cause everything that ever happens, you actually understand that you are God. You're more powerful than you could ever imagine. No, that's the whole (laughs) problem is we've been imagining power instead of just uh, uh, experiencing the power. Right. Accepting it. But there it is. You're already that powerful. And you can almost frame that as the delay of recognizing a moment is your physical organism has already done whatever it needs to to exist here right taking a breath that's all that needs to be done right now is putting it right here right now Uh uh-huh everything that ever needed to come together has come together right here it is (laughs) it's all together now (laughs) and we can see that and relish it and marvel in it or we can say, no, it's not good enough. It's still missing something. 
our choice. Most people will never recognize that, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like a very, very beautiful, delicious dinner comes to you from a restaurant. It's just not exactly what you ordered. Are you going to eat it and enjoy it, or are you going to send it back? When you discovered that was the case, though, why why did you choose this teaching style? I guess because it exists forever. Like this is the teaching style that exists. I didn't but know. Don't there you think was it always kind of needs to, to be it. reframed? You know. Pardon. It always needs to be reframed in a certain sense, or uh, talked about in a different language. I use a lot of poly. I use some tie. Yeah, I mean, I, is that the case now? It just continually, it's the eternal teaching. That's the Dhamma, I guess, you know? Yeah, right. And in fact, the Dhamma is quite small. There's really not much to it. And actually, when you finally... Actually, like, there's nothing to it. They call that sunyata. <laughs> there's nothing to it. <laughs> it's okay. Because when you, when you see the Dhamma, it becomes so evident you almost need to hide yourself from it in a sense to exist i don't understand tell me more um when you see the dhamma it becomes like so overpowering you see the reason for why you created that hello darkness my old friend <laughs> oh you heard that uh-huh well yeah i heard that from you but it's the reason you create the reason to be um divided from yourself to discover yourself again in a sense mm -hmm. We're taught to do that as children. Peekaboo. <laughs> no, we're told to stop playing peekaboo. We are, but that is what it is. You hide yourself from it because it becomes so evident. You have to hide uh, No, the whole word, listen to the word peek. You're seeing only the hands. The hands go away and you look. You can peek, you can see, and you're told to stop playing that game. Keep your hands up there and don't look at what's going on. Don't see you for see yourself, yourself, you follow the orders. You do what you're told to do. That's our society. And we become attached to that society. This is the word that the Buddha uses, Silabhata Paramasa. The rites, rules, rituals is how it's uh, translated, but it's got a, a wider context, every rule. Okay, one of the rules that I learned was is that I got to hurry up because I had to keep up with my dad, who was a fast walker. He's actually a meter reader. That's, I mean, he was a professional high-speed walker. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am writing a rule in my mind. I got to keep up with him. And why did I write that rule? Because he keeps saying, come on, hurry up. But he said that to everybody, but I heard it to me. And to see through that is anatta. I mean, because. Well, that was one of the rules I learned as a kid, and I, I carried that anxiety and hurry up with me. 
and to watch the one moke <laughs> literally on the bicycle. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> but when I got to watch the one moke, I put the bicycle away and learned to relax. That I don't have to be in a hurry. There's no place to go anyway. I mean, here I was at Guanca's retreat center, practicing really hard, sitting on the floor, sitting very still, going someplace, getting something done, in a hurry for it. Was that a, um, sorry, I'm not very familiar with Guanca. Was that a more- It's got nothing to do with Guanca. It's got to do with my mind. Was it more focused on one-pointed concentration? Um, actually, uh, Goenka style is a body scan. Okay. And in that regard, you would say it's not one focus concentration because one focus pointed concentration requires one object that's not moving at all. Mm. Okay, so a candle gazer would be staring in that candle. If he had two candles, he doesn't use two candles back and forth between two candles. He looks at that candle. With the uh, scanning meditation, you're moving all over the place. So that's what we mean by one-pointed concentration. And by the way, one-pointed concentration has nothing to do with Buddhism. I don't know wherever any of that came from. Like, like I said, I like these videos... I just enjoy these conversations. If you don't think it's helpful to teach with these videos, please don't like uh, feel necessary to like post them. I don't know why you're saying that. I mean, aren't you having fun right now? I, I am having fun right now, for sure. Okay, um, then that's it. That's the reason for having the videos, is so we can enjoy the moment. Perfect. Um, because an object of meditation that's one-pointed would obviously become easily broken, is what I think. So you you need like a, a meditation. Oh, you mean because one-pointed concentration has a rule. There's a rule with one-pointed concentration. What is that one concentration rule? Is, is that it's broken when you change your focus to something else. You use the word broken yourself just now, okay? Why can't you just move from one object to another object without it having broken something? Well, exactly. I mean, if you were to create a better system, it would never be broken. Um, it, nothing ever is broken. No, exactly. I, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm just, um, you know, trying but to everything, everything gets sick, gets old, and dies. Everything. Uh, yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. But that's a natural process. Broken yeah, like is when we don't like it. Crushing the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You have to like be okay with entropy. That's all that we got. But I mean, it's pretty beautiful. I mean, all things considered. Well, yeah, entropy. In fact, you could say that gravity is an expression of entropy. And yeah. it's really marvelous to watch things fall, especially skydivers. They really like it. Totally.
What do you do when you're not uh, taking Skype calls from people? Nothing. That's nice. Nothing much. Nothing is important. Why should I want to do anything? <laughs> Pet the dog. But I can do that while I'm on Skype. She's right here getting her ears scratched. That's nice. Mm -hmm. In fact, I just found a tick. And I just removed it. And there it is. Man. Ticks. <laughs> So there's nothing to do. No place to go. Any toy will do so long as you're playing. And when you break this toy, if you want to use the word break, when this toy breaks, go play with another toy. Toyness is not broken. It's just that you decided that the state that this toy is in, you don't is unsatisfactory now. And that was your choice. Just because a doll has no arms or legs doesn't mean she's not worth playing with. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the question is, then, the state of mind that we're in. Are we going to be in the state of mind being a victim or are we going to be in the state of mind of being a winner who is in charge of our world? And then the next question would be, well, how do you go from one to the other? And then how do you begin to go often? And then how do you learn to remain there? And then how do you become comfortable and you just sit in the fact that there's nothing to do and no place to go and nothing really matters and everything is okay and you'll eat today and you'll eat tomorrow and you'll breathe now and breathe the next breath and everything's hunky-dory. Everything's a piece of cake. Life is good. And at, at the end of it, the end of life will be good. Well, well totally. I mean... Oh, uh, when you talk about um, <laughs> you're right. It will all be good. It is all good, and by seeing it's all good, you can create the equanimity to see these weird like synchronicities of life because you're not so distracted. Oh, it's a that, like, it's a show. It is. It is totally a show. Uh, yeah, just enjoy the show. That's what life is. Life is just a marvelous. Uh, grand dance or movie. In fact, in Hinduism, they call it Leela. Everything's dancing. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Watch, for instance, the dance between Trump and Biden. Quite a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that, uh, that relates to the, the duality that we see that creates reality, you know? Uh, when I just mentioned it, I mentioned them in duality by the names, but I'm talking about them dancing and now there's unity again. Exactly. The, the three out of the two by seeing the middle ground, right? Mm -hmm, by meeting in the middle, the middle path where everything meets together.
like at the bottom of the cup. <laughs> That's where all the stuff collects. <laughs> I really appreciate all these conversations you have, Dom Rato. I know I've mentioned that a couple times before, but really valuable. Okay. Uh, practicing well, practicing correctly may be more valuable. <laughs> that is learning how to take an object and keeping it and holding it. And what that object would be ultimately would mean uh, either this breath or isn't this the, wholesome thought. Transfiguring huh? any negative thought into a positive thought. Uh, that is one's right effort. The actual change, I can change, has to be the attitude, and most people think they can't change. And they tell themselves things when they when the mind wanders away from the breath, instead of just returning to the breath and practicing, they say things like, oh, this meditation is hard. Oh, I can't do it. Yeah, another loop they get caught in. That isn't, I'm grateful for this moment. Mm -hmm. The there, grateful thing, the mind has wandered away. Grateful. Hey. You can't do that? Oh, okay, here's these instructions, how to be eternally grateful. <laughs> Why should we want to be eternally anyway? Anything. Uh, yeah, that's true. Why yeah. can't I just be grateful right now? Oh, Let yeah. me practice it right now. Right. I bet I could be grateful next time, too. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. But eternally, I haven't a clue. Nor do I care. Yeah, it's wild. About about actually the way that I would say it is that I only look a few days in advance, which would be like in playing chess about five or ten moves in advance. Most people don't know how to look in, at a chessboard five or ten moves in advance. Sure. So that's what we mean by putting uh, together really what's going on rather than worried about what will happen if I do this and what will worry, you know, and so we're always worried about what's my next step because I got to choose the right next step. Right. Okay. And they almost always take the next step into the rat hole. Why is that? It's because they see that rat hole and they like it. And so they immediately turn towards it and then they take a step towards it. And then a couple of more until they're in the rat hole. But if you think in advance and see things in advance, hey, I like that rat hole, but I better not step into it. <laughs> and that's what eventually moved you out of. Stepping into rat holes, exactly. We Normal begin to life. see them in advance. We see but them in advance. But it becomes such a hollow existence that you can't take it anymore. There's nothing there for you anymore. Right? No, there's you're nothing there totally for the you. The there's, nothing ah, there. there's nothing there for the you anymore. So let the you die and let the observer just have a ball. Just watch it. What's going on? Being alive. Enjoying being alive. Watching the show. Enjoying everything. 
wow, what a marvelous existence this is, this thing called life. It's a whole lot better than being a rock. You're right. But you don't talk to people who are living in, or you talk to people who are living in the city, but you don't live in the city anymore. No, some of my friends, uh, I've got one friend living on an island. I got another one living in the desert. Sounds like they're all pretty remote. I mean, that's why I'm in North Dakota, but. Okay. So remote enough? Every, every place is fine. I'm just saying, I think Any this is what happens eventually is. It becomes a hollow existence and you start eating the fruits of basically. No, it's a hollow existence is a negative thought. You <laughs> just did that. You caused you, yourself. You're right. You you catch me every time, Don Rato. You, you. That's, that's the joy of being sitting here is listening to what people say. And I come, aha, I see you. <laughs> that's all my job. And that's the only job I've got. And many times <laughs> students will not take the opportunity to let me say, aha, I see you, Myra. So I have here. to wait a while and then point it out later in our conversations. But that's the job here is to point these thoughts out and say, maybe if I can see your unwholesome thoughts, you can too. That's the point of a teacher. I mean, that's why I talk to you, uh, like, because I think the correct way, uh, observe yourself, observe the Dhamma, and then have yourself observed, or like, talk with the teacher. That's why every time I talk with you, I try and bring... Mm -hmm. Or as the, that song says, have yourself a merry little moment. One by one they come. <laughs> Destroy that. <Thank laughs> yeah, it's your choice. It's back to that uh, original point that we were talking about is, yes, this universe is based in causality. Are you going to be the cause? Or are you going to be the effect? Mm -hmm. Guess what? We try to be the effect. We've been taught that we're the effect. We were the cause all along. And so when the effect is dukkha, guess what? We caused it. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do we cause it? Greed, ill will, and delusion. Not looking at what we're doing, wanting things. Seeing how beautiful that rat hole is and not seeing right through it down to the bottom of it. But once you've been down that rat hole several times, you begin to know the sequence. You can figure it out. So this time you see the rat hole and say, I'm not going there. I've been there, done that. <laughs> but you got to wake up to watching yourself go down the rat hole. So well, now you can put it together next when you, time. When you say the rat hole, you almost seem like the chain of causality. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And then sometimes when I brought up... Um, like that's the you could actually idea say then the that you could, of Eden is like walk up the stream back to where the first cause arises. Right, which is exactly the point about the story of Adam and Eve. They got kicked out of the uh, the paradise, which meant that they went into bad feelings. How yeah. did they get kicked out of paradise? It's because they had to deal with the results, eating the fruit. And the fruit was bitter, 
and that destroyed paradise. And what was the fruit? It was the knowledge of good and evil. So if you go around saying this fruit tastes bad, it does taste bad, and now you've got no paradise left. But if you eat the fruit without judging the fruit, then you're nourished. It's paradise fruit. Stop judging it, whether it's good or bad. So that's the teaching in the Bible, and that's actually uh, not just a good Dharma. That's the only Dharma there is. That's it. Sure. Stop it almost, judging. It, it, it almost kind of returns to that, it, like the story of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. The guy who yes. was given everything. And he's like, no, he's, no, 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 this isn't it. I need to go find it for myself. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes, oh, wait, no, it was always just right here. <laughs> Ah, but here's the point. He came back broke, penniless, dejected, a failure. After trying to explore it for himself. After after he went out. But even though he came back broke, dejected, and a failure, which is where his brother saw him, his father still welcomed him home. The universe, after you go screw up your life, the well, the universe will still welcome you home if you can see it, that you've arrived at home. Yeah, that's almost like... The paradise was there all along. The studio, Getting kicked out of paradise. Is, became enlightened or whatever. Oh, you're talking about Angulimala. I was thinking more recently, but uh, <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. It doesn't matter what our past has done. When we turn around and repent, we recognize that what we were being chased by was a friend. Was the memory to do better. Ah, and the orders to do better when, in fact, you're already good enough. (laughs) Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. That it's your friend, it's your daddy who's calling. Exactly. Come home, come home. Here, sit down, have a rest. That's the practice of Anapanasati when it is a more complete package. A complete circuit, maybe. mm Mm-hmm which has all of the aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path, to where most of the Buddhist practices have bits and pieces here and there, have it out of order, don't understand some of the language. So that's basically, it's not broken down back into the Four Noble Truths? Is that what you'd say? Because you Mm -hmm. need to return? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is back, actually, the Four Noble Truths. Because the fourth is always, there is a solution. No, there is no solution. The solution there, is the Eight Noble. No, no, no this, the Eightfold Noble Path is pointing out there was never a problem in the first place. You invented it. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay, but if you get to number four, you've already acknowledged there's a problem. Uh, no, actually, step three is giving up the problems. When you see that all of the problems are, uh, 
um, invented within one's own mind, we stop having them. We're in this uh, third noble truth right then and there. And everybody spends a little bit of time in the third noble truth, probably every day. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in the sense of uh, er, the name of the, the work is Nibbana for everyone. Nibbana for everyone. And in there, he points out that everyone has little Nibbanas that they're not even aware of. Everybody takes an exhausting out breath. People will sit down in the chair and say, oh, and not have any thoughts at all for one or two seconds. And then the old crap starts up again. Sure. And yeah. they're not even aware of that whole process. They're not looking at it, but they do relax. It's because they never see the entire process. They can't. They don't the, see the whole process. They exactly. Long enough to see the whole cycle, and then you continually be lost in the cycle. Uh huh. So here, many people are sitting in a meditation, possibly in a retreat, sitting down on the floor with no place to go and nothing to do for the next hour, and they still don't relax. They're working really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> they're using the wrong effort when in fact there is a right effort and in this case the right effort is to stop the wrong effort yeah. that's the right effort is to stop the wrong effort another way of saying it is the least amount of effort possible to get the job done whatever it is which would be, in this case, throwing that unwholesome thought out of the mind and putting a wholesome thought in. That's all the effort it takes. That and the effort to take a deep breath, but that's all. I mean, the, the taking the breath actually is the easier part of the path. <laughs> the harder part is paying attention to the space in between breaths. No, the harder part is taking the effort to actually see that that's an unwholesome thought and to throw it out. You and I have just gone through that sequence just now. To pay attention to anything? To pay attention to every thought that we have because most of them are going to be unwholesome for a while. Or pay attention as best you can. And when do you pay attention? When you remember to pay attention. When you remember to look, when you remember to investigate, when you do find something that's not worth thinking, then you throw that out and say, I'm going to have a thought that's worth thinking. And so what the skill that's developed is the skill in spotting unwholesome thoughts as unwholesome. Yep, I agree with that. That's the skill. And as we do that, that's also developing the skill of the first noble truth. This is dukkha, the investigation of what is dukkha. Because if we can spot it, we can avoid it. We can go right into the third noble truth. All we have to do is see the dukkha. Well, how do we see the dukkha? That's the path. That's the eightfold noble way is to pay attention to what you're doing. Remember to pay attention to what you're doing. When you are paying attention to what you're doing, you're also judging it. Is this worth doing or not? And if it's not worth doing, we stop doing it. And that's all there is to the entire path of the Buddha. 
Yeah, Almost like, like a light switch in the mind. And it's your choice to flip that light switch out of unwholesome into wholesome. Yeah, the light switch is when, would you say you're in? The light switch itself your, your is the right effort. Degrees that the most efficient or the, the best thing to do right now is to be present. That's all you have to do. Mm -hmm. What is present? Well, presence actually means being in your senses rather than in your memory part of your thinking process. That the thoughts that you're having are thoughts about your senses as input is coming in. And you're not in the present moment when you take that stuff that comes in and try to evaluate it and make sense out of it. You're not in the present moment right there. You hear it? Now you're in the head. You're trying to figure out what's going on. And how you do that is by bringing in the past. Clearly, you're, you're a couple of mind moments delayed. Mm -hmm. So we live a couple of mind moments after reality, and it's always a, uh, let us say, clouded, darkened, or messed up image that we create. Especially like an elongated mind moment would be like a trauma or mm. something you continually remember. Right. We can, in fact, because we remember trauma, we will add trauma to any image that we have. You like project it forward as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the unwholesome way to do what I'm saying is. Right. The wholesome thing to do is to wake up to that days. process so that we can put a top to it. If we don't wake up to it, we can't see it. If we can't see it, we can't catch it. If we can't catch it, we can't grab it. And if we can't grab it, we can't throw it out. And <laughs> yeah, that's the whole I mean, process. Putting some skin in the game. Aha, uh -huh, I caught you is a really good way of expressing it. Do you think the, the, the reason though you, uh, it's like, have you ever tried to play chess against yourself? Uh, actually I have seen that done and, um, I also recognize that secretly I have one of the other sides that I want to win. <laughs> and another way of, of, of doing that would be like, uh, uh, in a game that you're in, let us say a card game, that you're in the process of finishing the solitaire card game right at the end, and now you have a choice of, Who's going to be the last card that's going to be played? Is it going to be a red or a black? Who wins, red or black? Can I set it up in advance? Black's going to be the last card to play, and then I play the game so that red blows first and then the black. Okay, yeah. Those are the kind of things that people do when they're playing games. And if you're playing a chess game, then that's the kind of game that they're actually playing within their own mind. Of not just that I am going to win, another one would be Sudoku. I know I'm going to win the Sudoku. What's going to be the last number? Am I going to wait until I uh, uh, all of them? Or another way, can I play Sudoku so that I get all the ones first, and then all the twos next, and then all the threes next, so that I do it in order? Or I'll play the game that way. Okay? Sure. But always you're in control. You can either forget the order that they're in and just have fun, or you can actually set it up to make it hard by choosing which car, which numbers are going to get played in what order. 
that adds a level of sophistication, which means you've got to keep track of a whole lot of stuff that you haven't put that six in that box yet, but you know the six belonged in that box. <laughs> yeah, I've, I haven't found out a way to play chess against myself. Just... You can't do it. That's what I'm telling you. You can't. You can play these other little games instead. I'm using more simple games as the example. But in advance, you already know who's going to win this side, black or white. Right. Almost by the choice of the opening that white is going to play determines whether the game is going to be won by the one side or the other. And I've seen people do that. I've watched them do it. Okay, but that's just a side point. I mean, we do that in everything in our life. We play chess with ourselves. Sure. With everything. That when we're in a competition with another person, whether we win or lose that competition is based in our own mind upon the rules that we set for the game. And the people who wind up jealous already have the game set up that I'm jealous because he's the winner. And when we get wise to our own games like that, we stop playing them. I don't play chess with myself and I don't compete with other people because I know I'm going to win every time. I'm the one <laughs> who sets the rules. And once you get tired of playing and winning every time, then you don't bother to play so much anymore. But when you do, it's massively fun. But and that develops equanimity, you know, when you know uh -huh. you're not going to stop Mm-hmm. Right. And now you're willing to play the game because you know that you've won already before you begin playing the game. You know, you've won. And that develops a balanced mind state, which becomes more and more. Beautiful. This is what Anapanasati practice is all about. That's the reason that we practice that is keep putting wholesome thoughts into the mind. And eventually, one of the thoughts or actually one of the feeling systems that come into play is that samasankapa or right attitude that I can handle anything. I win every game. What game am I playing right now? Taking a deep breath. I'm going to win that game. <laughs> Mm. And so we develop that attitude of a winner. If you develop that attitude when you're laying in bed and you don't want to get up, you can say, hey, man, I don't have to get up. I can lay here all day. Nothing's going to happen anyway. There's no place to go and nothing to do. And then we'll say, oh, wait a minute. And then up we get. <laughs> or we can have that game that most people play. I don't want to get up. You got to get up. I don't want to get up. Go ahead and get up. You got to get up. It's time to get up. You know that game. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, not such a good one. More A unified mind is definitely more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that's the practice of getting the mind unified. And then that's all there was to do is just get the mind unified. After that, there's nothing left. You're already the in the suttas. They talk about it as uh, pure as a polished shell. Uh, the job that needed to be done has been done. And when we begin to look at life like that, that any job that needed to be done has already been done.
And what is the only job that we have to do is to un is to unhook the whole unwholesome thoughts and plug a wholesome thought in. And that's the only job there is. Another way to say it is, is that whatever job, whatever work you have, the only job that you have when you get there is to be friends with everybody that's there. If you're the best friend of everybody that's there, you got no other job to do. Everything else that you're actually doing with your hands, let us say putting it widget A into widget B, that's just part of the activity of being friends with everybody. But in fact, the, let us set this situation up, and that is, is that the uh, the employee who is the actual best friend, not just buttering him up, but is the actual best friend of the boss, is not going to get fired no matter how unproductive he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Friendship is everything. The work, yeah. nothing. Or let us show you the work's just a piece of cake when you're eating the cake. You've got it. That's all there is to it. This is the teaching of the Buddha. This is the teaching of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. This is the teaching of all the old masters, but they have individual ways of saying it. And what Western Buddhism is, is trying to make sense out of all those various things that people have said when they're all talking about the same thing. <laughs> that's every that's every language in communication, though, is there's always a little bit of loss of translation. Mm -hmm. Oh, the entire Dhamma has been lost in the translation. I am eternally grateful for the uh, I use the word eternally with a uh, big grin on my face. For the Thai translations of the uh, the sutras, because the English translations are not up to scratch. True. But the Pali itself but, is but it's delicious. Also more, it's also more um, accessible than it's ever been. Not Me yet, but so long as it's badly translated. It's always successfully translated. Pardon? It's always successfully translated for those who can like hear it, you know. Uh, I couldn't. You found it. Bikkhu Buddha Dasa rubbed my face in it until I couldn't ignore it. And then I started to pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, but how many people like. That you think gra you graduate college with ever even explored this, you know. I'm not you worried about them, but if one of them calls, I'll have a ball. <laughs> Maybe I better be wild, but I'm just saying, like, uh, the the forest of ideas grows. It like always hides it, but it grows, you know. Sorry, what is it that grows? If there's a solution to this, it's always. What's the problem? What? What's the problem? Oh, there's no problem. Well, then what's the solution got to do with nothing? Perfect solution. The perfect solution is there's no problem. There it is. <laughs> That's the only solution that actually works is to figure out that there's no problem. Yeah.
For instance, if the car won't start, you think that that's a problem. And so you look for a solution, like getting a battery charger or whatnot like that. Only if you have the desire for the car to start. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's the problem is I want the car to start. And if I don't care whether the car starts or not, I got no well, problem. Well, that's the first level of truth. You have a desire for desire. the car to start. Right, exactly. And most people don't see that. Now, the duty to the Dhamma is seeing that, oh, I want the car to start. Therefore, I can consider, is it actually better for the car to start? And if it is, then I can do my duty to go do what needs to be done to get the car started happily. But when we see that the car won't start as a problem, we are already unhappy before we even started to repair the car. That always the problem is in the mind, not in the car. Car starts or not start, that's not a problem. Cars get old. Sure. I mean, if cars did start every time, Detroit, General Motors, and Ford would have big problems. They couldn't sell any more cars because the ones they built work. <laughs> Damn. Planned obsolescence. Uh-huh. Right. Guess what? Obsolescents don't need no plans. <laughs> Everything's going to get obsolete anyway. Moore's law is going to make sure that happens. Sure it's can. not just computers that get strange every 18 months. The whole world gets turned upside down within two years. Everything is different. Except our belief that nothing is different. Because we've got concepts. This is how things should be. This is how things are. True. An example of that is medical science now has enough good medicines that most sexual items are now medical issues. Abortions, premature births, uh, birth control pills, uh, medications for STD, uh, IUDs, that whole show has all been taken care of by medicine. Before medicine had any cures, which is as uh, a recent uh, ago as the 1950s, when penicillin was invented. Before that, STDs was not a medical issue because medical uh, couldn't solve the problem. It became a moral issue instead. So, when medicine takes over its job of handling sexual dysfunctions completely, then sexuality will no longer be a moral issue. But you can see the strangeness of moral when you bring morality into sexuality. I mean, look at how the Christians hate gays, etc. Look how they could try to control women's bodies by saying you can't have a divorce, uh, an abortion. They yeah, used to say true. you can't have a divorce, too. Right. Okay. So we're talking about this Sila Bhatta Paramasa is actually the whole culture that we have. And I'm showing you an example of how reality is encroaching upon the rules. And so a lot of young people are much more interested in going to a website to find out about uh, um, 
uh, medications and possibilities, birth control pills, et cetera, all kinds. They go to the websites. 50 years ago, they went to the priest. Sure. Is it, are you saying it's moving away from a moral thing and more to a medical I'm thing? I'm saying that it never belonged as a moral issue in the first place. Yeah, true. But it had to become a moral issue because we did not have a solution to people's problems medically. It became a moral issue because people could see the problems when in fact there never was a problem. Mm. Infants die in the wild. Couples do things. I mean, they know for sure, the bird watchers know for sure that birds are not monogamous, even though the turtle doves and the, uh, the, uh, the Christian is all about two birds in love for the rest of their life, two wings of a bird and all that kind of crap, to where in fact, uh, uh, in the bird world, it's quite a lot, a lot of bedlam. Hmm. Also, here's another example. If you have a big monkey tribe, never mind uh, the uh, variety of monkeys, from gorillas to lemurs, whatever, you've got a big tribe. Let us say 15 or 20. When the bull monkey, the alpha, the one who everybody collects around, the, the guy who's got so much ego that he thinks he owns the place, when he's there in front of all the tribe, how much sexual hanky-panky do you think is going to go on inside that tribe? None. Because he's going to be very unhappy if the young men come to any of the women, right? Because he thinks he owns it. But now what happens when that uh, big male monkey goes on a hunt or is off away from the tribe, let us say all the fully adult male monkeys are off doing something. What are all of the female monkeys and the young male monkeys doing? They're having hanky-panky. They're doing it. I mean, the researchers have been watching this, and they've learned all about it. But humans don't like that because we've got rules here. Well, the monkeys have rules, too. When they cast away, the mice will play. That's the rule that they have. <laughs> and so in our culture, we have a big, big cat. Cat in the sky. Can't watch it, everybody. You gotta behave yourself here. I mean, didn't that be the story for how many centuries now? That someone's gonna get you. Mm -hmm. Right. They're, they're, if you if you screw up, we're coming after you. That's the whole thing. You gotta play by our rules. If you don't play by our rules, we're coming after you. That is actually the Buddha's ordinary right view. The ordinary right view is, is that we're going to stop the criminals from doing everything that the criminals are doing. And the criminals, the wrong view, is I can get away with it. And every human being goes back and forth inside their mind, the adult and the child, or excuse me, the parent and the child, the parent says you can't get away with it, and the child says I can get away with it. And the parent says, no, you can't. Here's another version of that dialogue. Somebody's watching YouTube and they have the thought, you ought to be meditating. 
And then the child says, no, I don't want to meditate. I want to watch the movie. And then the thought is, no, you ought to be meditating. You're not going to learn anything if you don't meditate. But that's immediately replacing the wrong thought with the right thought. Of like, no, it's immediately saying a wrong thought with another wrong thought. It is immediately replacing wrong, wrong thought with another wrong thought. An argument, a dialogue within one's mind. Do I, don't I? There would be no dialogue. It would be silence. It would be of this is the right thing to be doing. Oh, actually, a way of saying it then in that particular example is, is when the thought comes, you ought to be meditating. The answer to that is. I am um, meditating. That's it. Yeah, do it right then. Okay. I'll be right back in three minutes. I've got to use the restroom tomorrow. So feel free to pause it. I don't know how. Well, I'll be right back in two or three minutes. back I know um I feel like what you're talking about just relates to um like a mental idea most people have about how they think the world should work versus just connecting with their emotions Or who the ultimate teacher is. Like you, you could tell me everything I'm doing is wrong. Like you right here tell me, Gavin, everything you tell me is wrong. But I'd still just think, okay, well, I'm right because this is the way I feel. Ah, I would say that that thought sequence is probably one of the most common thought sequences in American culture. Okay. And it starts with the unwholesome thought. You may think I'm wrong, but I'm right. That is an unwholesome thought. You may think I'm wrong. When we see those thoughts, I uh, maybe somebody is judging me. That's an actually a, a what a, a, a what aboutism. What if the whole world thinks I'm wrong? Why are you having that kind of thought? Um, because the way you most raised, think of course, the way things exactly. should be is actually much different than the way things are. Mm-hmm. I'm, Right, we're supposed to I'm improve the place. I mean, it's not good enough. Me, Damarato, because Sorry. 
that's why I'm talking to you. I mean, but you don't think the mo you don't think in the way that is very common in the world. Or nobility is not uh, well understood at all in the West. It's much more common in Asia. That in fact, of Westerners, they don't like the Asian mind. Well, they don't even deep that as an option, to be honest. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Um, well, Eastern thought is still relatively new to the Western mind in the grand scheme of things, I'd say. It's only recently well, been just... increased flow. Only responding to what you said, that you're 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 pointing out that I'm strange, and I'm saying no, I'm really ordinary. I'm the one that's ordinary here. And part of that has to do with the fact that everybody in the West is taught that they, particularly that particular you, is special. We do that in kindergarten and grade school. Yeah, sure, building up the ego. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they think that they're building up self-confidence, but what they're actually doing in a way is building up competition. Ego, I'm big on. I'm one of the most egotistical people you, you'll mean, you'll ever meet. I like it in the sense that the way that Freud talked about it. His ego, his adult mental state. But in fact, most people are in id or super ego. Okay, you so you're so far. You could go. Hang on, 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 hang on. Therefore, you could go so far as to say that when people in the West are talking about egoism, they should be talking about idism. Because when most people think of the word ego, they're thinking about the id instead. Egotistical is actually something out of the id. So when you use the word ego correctly and know that you're using it correctly, then being egotistical is the best way to go. Just a matter of definition of the words. So, so just to refine those... Um definitions you're using because um, I'm not super familiar with Freud are you saying ego is the person in the audience uh, Eric Byrne Eric Eric Byrne translates uh, Freud into the adult ego state superego is the parent and the id is the child ego state. In neuroscience, we talk about the reptilian brain, the back part of the brain, the mid, uh, temporal and the mammalian cortex of the brain, and the frontal cortex of the brain, that part of the brain that monkeys don't have. But even yeah, though we've got a human brain. Uh, um, spearing the serpent? No. The Archangel, Michelangelo, 
spearing the serpent. I don't know what you're talking about. Sorry. No, it's you're you're saying that Michelangelo had there's some piece of artwork someplace show him riding a dragon. Most people show him wearing wings instead rather than riding a dragon. No, not riding the dragon. Spearing the dragon or slaying. Uh huh. Okay. Well, in that case, this the dragon that is to be slain. Uh, is the emotions. Yeah, Michael killing, killing the dragon. I've thought about that mm -hmm. as the idea of, you know, like the frontal cortex slaying like your uh, reptile brain. Okay. The problem is with the uh, ancient kind of words playing a better kind of way of thinking of it is, is that the frontal cortex actually becomes active often enough to ride herd on the reptilian brain rather than letting the reptilian brain run loose. Or a better way even than that is to think of them as friends and, and cooperate mutually together and become more integrated. But they can only integrate once they become friends. And so long as there is a war and a slaying going on, there's not going to be much cooperation within or without. If we're inside uh, competing over the Gabriel in our mind, slaying the dragon in our mind, that means that we're going to be out there being Gabriel trying to slay all the dragons in the world, the Don Quixote. Sure, yeah, and then it's just accentuating the polarity versus finding that hello darkness, my old friend. Yeah, we're, mm -hmm. we're friends here, or I'm the person playing chess against myself. Mm -hmm. I'm playing chess with myself. That's why don't I enjoy it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like a game is a pretty consistent, enjoyable thing you can do. All right, well, now that we know that everything about life is merely a game. We can begin to enjoy the game because we're setting the rules if we will set the rules rather than just using the old rules that we had learned and had put into place. Sure. So there's more than just the dragon that needs to be uh, slain, if you want to use the word slain. The Gabriel's also got to um, slay the mother of the dragon. The one who sent that dragon out to fight Gabriel. Because if you slay that dragon, the mother's going to send out a yet another son that Gabriel's got to slay again. Sure, almost like the head of a Hydra. Mm -hmm. Top off one and two emerge. That's the whole point now. So it's not just the reptilian brain that the uh, that the frontal cortex has to subdue is also got to subdue the parent of the dragon. Who is the parent? The rule maker, the one who tell who sends the uh, the dragon out. And where does and where does the dragon go out? It's because the dragon's got a set of rules that he's got to follow, that he's reluctant to follow, and he doesn't want to follow those rules. So the dragon gets angry, but he's still a dumb animal. 
which is the whole point of the Buddha, is that dragon that we become is still a dumb animal, a, a, a draft animal, doing what we're told to do and resenting it. That's the woeful state of being an animal. You heard about the poor woeful states of where you can be reborn. Well, being reborn on a dumb animal or being reborn that uh, uh, dragon in this case is a common occurrence. So that when Gabriel comes out, it's me that gets killed. Sure thing. And go ahead. Nope. And uh, and that goes for the, all of the woeful states. When we go into hell in our own mind, we open the door to hell and pump the air and made it hot. You're just a uh, well, you're just assuming the state of the victim. Uh, well, which are you going to apply the side of? Because in fact, you are all three of them. You are the victim, the persecutor, and the one who sees the show. The three in one. Mm hmm The father, the son, and the holy spook. The holy spook is watching the show while the father is beating the hell out of the son, sending him onto the cross and all that kind of shenanigans. Right. When's the spook going to take his own power and tell the old man to shut his face? Help the kid off the cross. You sound like a Gnostic. <laughs> huh? You sound like a Gnostic. No, I'm just playing with the word three. Yeah, exactly. Just playing with the number three, because everything in this regard happens in threes. Greed, ill will, and delusion. The greed is the parent, the ill will is the kid, and the delusion is the adult. The difference between them, huh? Mm -hmm. And when the adult wakes up and is not seeing the ignorance, he can see the persecution of the greed and the dissatisfaction of not getting what one's wanting. We begin to put a stop to that freeway greed, ill will, delusion cycle that we're in. People, easy peasy. Just wake up and look at what you're doing. That's all it takes. <laughs> Boom, that's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes. Take Easy peasy is easy to take the effort to wake up, look at what you're doing, and make a change. That's the super mundane. That's the super mundane, exactly. Spelled right out in the sutras, number 117. Hmm. Dom Rato, thanks for the conversation tonight. I oh, it's been delightful. It. This has been delightful. I'm really glad that you called. Let us hope that you're getting a good practice going so that you can really see these unwholesome thoughts. Um, okay. I will say my practice lately is almost um, entirely focused on 24-7 practice, let's say. 
let's not do focused on anything other than this present moment. Okay, okay. Do you, okay. Uh, do you recommend any um, dedicated breath no. practice focus? No, no. Rather, that when you understand that sati is a skill to be developed by practicing it over and over again, knowing that you will practice it over and over again. And as you wake up over and over and over again, when you wake up, you congratulate yourself for waking up right now. If you put a rule in there 24 seven, then when you wake up, you'll wake up rule breaking. Uh, yeah, there's two sides to that coin. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But if you wake up to this present moment, wow, this present moment is wonderful. Do you have so any, you okay, want to. What, people would click really uh, say it was like time on the cushion. Sorry, what? Uh, as people would call time on the cushion or like dedicated, like eyes closed. Right. I would rather, I would rather they just uh, enjoy the time they're spending on the cushion rather than dedicated to getting something they don't have. Enjoy what they yeah, just have. There's nothing they don't have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dedication is dedicating to get something that you don't have. It's almost like devotion to a, uh, a higher being, like mm -hmm. a parent ego state, okay? We would prefer to use the word enthusiastic or eager. Sure. Dedication, don't need it. Dedication is almost always done in a ceremony anyway. Sure. And it's got a long time frame involved with it. Dedicating your life to Jesus, a life of poverty, a vow of celibacy. I know all about that stuff. The Buddha calls all of that ordinary things for ordinary people to do. Sure. But enthusiasm, that's something you can do right now. <laughs> Let's do it with gusto right now. Boom. You Boom. got it. Got it. Again, mm -hmm. thank you so much for the call tonight. Excellent. I've I enjoyed it. rest of your day. Oh, this is just a, and I wish you this present moment that you get a big kick out of it. This present moment is good enough. You got it. This one's going out to you, Don Rajo. Excellent. We'll see you later. We'll catch you later. <laughs>